All right. Well, our biggest news is that we have a merch store now. Yes. We've got really awesome mugs, tanks, t-shirts. Tote bags. The tote bag is my favorite. Oh my gosh. It looks so cute. Anna got, Anna did a lot of the sampling and setting up the site. So thank you so much for putting in that work, Anna. Oh, it was so fun. I love everything that we have. Check it out. We have merch. I think our logo is awesome. However, I am biased. I love our logo. But yes, please go check out our merch store if you're interested in grabbing something that's related to, but it is rocket science. I'm Hannah. And I'm Anna. And this is... But But it it is Rocket Rocket Science. Science. Hannah, how are you? Anna, I'm doing well. Work has been a lot recently, but getting to talk with you is something I've been really excited about. Me too. Yeah. I haven't talked to you in a while. I haven't talked to you since the last time we did this, which is too long. It was too aside long. From, <laughs> aside from the random TikToks I send you at 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> I love those. I feel like when Anna and I get together for these podcast recordings, it really feels like a cozy book club to me because we're bringing together research from all these different articles we've read. But, you know, we're just like recording ourselves basically having our own mini book club. And it's just so relaxing. <laughs> Yes, and then it's also we, Hannah is out of town right now, so this is like the only time we really talk, so you also get to hear us just having conversations. <laughs> that's true, our own catch-up conversations. Right? Yeah, that's anyway, very Anyway, what's new true. in your life besides work or nothing because you've just been working and it's a pandemic? I'm going to have to go with the second one. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. I feel that so deeply. I went on a nice walk today for 15 minutes. Very relaxing. Oh, geez. The adventurous life I live. Look at you go. It's okay. Uh, I spent Sunday night reorganizing my embroidery floss collection. Yes. Listen to that again. (laughs) I literally at one point was like, I need this to be over. I don't know how I got here. Oh, my God. This is not okay. Uh, it's like one of those things you have so much optimism going into you're like yes I'm gonna be organized I'm gonna be so clean when I'm done with this and three hours later you're like when am I getting out of this I'm just gonna throw all of it away in a trash can yep I have 200 numbered baggies with embroidery floss oh my gosh I am 27 years old yeah I don't feel good about this that's awesome thank you thank you I'm really happy it's all organized I'm not happy that the pandemic has brought this to be my life event (laughs) I bet it must be so pretty to look at all of the 200 it colors. Really pretty. Yeah. They're all organized. I was really proud of myself. But exactly like you said at the beginning, I'm like, this is going to be great. And about two hours in, I was like, when is this going to be <laughs> over? Uh, so this is for all your cross-stitching, right? Exactly. That's the other hobby I more or less picked up during the pandemic. The last time I cross-stitched seriously was when I tore my ACL 11 years ago. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's actually Uh, fun. I do like it. If you need a good indoor pandemic activity, I recommend cross-stitching. Yeah. It's fairly inexpensive, and it's easy to pick up. Yeah, completely. Um, I started cross-stitching with Anna, and I kind of fell off that bandwagon, but I really enjoyed it when I was on that bandwagon. 
What happened to that like hard mode paint by numbers you brought? Oh my gosh. That was like, it's still sitting on the air hockey table at my parents' <laughs> house. Another, this was going to be a great idea. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now you're trying to forget it ever existed. Oh my gosh. I just look at it and I just feel sad. You know, it's just like you set this goal for yourself. And it's supposed to oh, be a fun it. goal, but then somehow it ends up being stress in the back of your mind. <laughs> oh, oh, I can relate to that so oh, deeply. Man. But yeah. I, I bought a spin bike. Yeah, that's right. I saw your story on Instagram about it. This is I know, another I great it. way we communicate. <laughs> <laughs> I put it on the gram because that's the most exciting thing happening in my life. I'm actually super excited about it. I did not get a Peloton. My dad has a Peloton, though, and the first time I tried it, I went into it. I was like, I'm not going to like this. I don't want to like this. And then I used it, and I was like, actually, this is great. Yeah, that's what I've heard. It's really nice, and I hate the fact of how much I liked it. But that, like, little part of me that remains from high school, like, I was that kid who, like, didn't want to like anything that was popular. Do you know what I mean? Like, remember that kid from high school? Yeah, that was me. Oh, yeah, like, completely. I was that kid. <laughs> and that little shred. And it's like, yeah, yeah, we can still see it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not proud. Uh, a little shred of that remains. Uh, and that's what happened with the Peloton. But you just got to lean in. The Peloton is great. Pumpkin spice lattes are delicious. Oh, my gosh, but, completely. I remember uh, when the Peloton was starting to become a thing at the beginning of uh, the pandemic. A lot of my coworkers had bought it, and I was, like, so judgy of them because I was like, you're going to spend multiple thousands of dollars on a stationary bike? Like, when what is, is be this about? In, like, <laughs> yeah, you're going to spend that much, like, $2,200 on a stationary bike when this is going to be over in six months anyway? Yeah. Nope. nope. They were right. They were right. <laughs> they were right. They were the forward thinkers. <laughs> they were. I got a Schwinn. And so I just used the Peloton app because my dad has a Peloton app and you can put five people on the account. So I freeload off his app and use it with this Schwinn. And it's actually really nice. I like it a lot. I think that's awesome, Anna. It's like definitely economical and especially like we're living apartment life right now. So that's nice because then you won't be worried about like your Peloton getting banged up in a move. Um, That was exactly what I was thinking. I was like, I don't want to buy a $2,200 Peloton and then move it. And have the movers ruin it. Yeah. Like, I would just be sad. Right. And then also, it's just going to keep getting better. It's like, we're pretty early in our careers, and eventually, I'm sure, we'll hopefully be more comfortable getting a fancier bike like the Peloton. So One day, I'll be at Peloton status. (laughs) Right now, I'm just at Schwinn. (sighs) We all have goals. Oh, man. (laughs) That's so funny. But but yeah. I got I um I got the Schwinn IC4. I do recommend it. I've only used it twice cuz I've only had it for 2 days. But um I would recommend so far. I'll keep you updated. You know, I was looking at per- at I was looking into personal workout equipment and I have bad um, knees from the races. So Anna and I ran a bunch of races called the Ragnar. Anna would do this thing, which was absolutely incredible. She would be, get really busy and not be able to train and I'd be like there's no way she's going to be able to run this race and then she would run the race and she would be able to do it <laughs> um, but it obviously wore down on her knees but it was incredible to me that she could do it at all I was like this is amazing thanks Anna yeah that was definitely the case for like the second Ragnar we did I definitely procrastinated on my training with that one but my knee problems started with the first one and I trained well for that but 
So with the Ragnar, it's a relay race. And it, yeah. the first one we did was um, a camping version. So you have a team of how many people? Was it eight runners? Was it eight? That one was hard. Over a span of 36 hours. And it's literally a relay. So one person will go out, do their loop, come back, and then hand off to the next person. Then they go and do their tra- uh, loop. And it's really cool because these are all trail runs. Very beautiful. Yeah. Um, it was it was hard. It was really, really hard. Uh, I think the hardest one for me was a five mile. Uh, it was literally a five mile climb because it was five miles over twenty five hundred uh, feet of elevation gain. Well, Hannah did this crazy thing that I told her not to do. She did. Apparently, in the middle of the night, <laughs> she I was did. Like, Don't do it. And then I didn't even remember this till the next day. You were like, you woke up, you told me it was a bad idea, and then you immediately oh, fell back asleep. But she did it. It's absolutely incredible. <laughs> She did like nine miles down the mountain at what, 4 a.m.? Got two hours of sleep. I don't even know if you slept. Yeah. And then went five miles up this mountain. And the fact that you were able to do that at all was amazing. Of course, you came out of it with knee problems. It was completely stupid. Like, Like, Anna, so I was, we had this giant tent and it fit all eight of us runners in it. And I come back in the middle of the night. I have to like climb over Anna to get to my sleeping bag. And she wakes up in the process and I'm like, hey, I have to go back for another run in a couple hours. And it's because one of our runners couldn't do it at the time. So we had to shift the uh, the slots up. And Anna wakes up in the middle of the night completely alert. And she's like, you are not doing this. You are going to ruin your knees. This is not a good idea. Yet at the same time, I was stubborn and stupid and young. And I was like, I can do this. I'm invincible. And as I'm getting older, I am more more and more realizing I am not invincible. I am very weak and vulnerable to all the outside forces and my own body. (laughs) I tore my ACL at 16 and I had to learn that lesson. And it's hard. But I just remember the next day after we were all done, you were like, oh, you're right. My knee's bothering me. Your ankle was a problem. Obviously, what you did was crazy. And you were like, I should have listened to you and not done it. And I was like, I told you not to do it. Like, I agree. <laughs> Anna's the best. And then she kept it. I have it. no memory. I bust, I like messed up my ankle on the next day. She was just like, she's just an amazing, powerful force. Like, you do not want to mess with Anna when she is protecting <laughs> a friend. Because, yeah, so nice. <laughs> the next day my ankle was all busted. And she was yelling at other people to not make me pick up stuff or move things Oh Please. man, I felt so loved. <laughs> you would do the oh, same thing. I would, I would. Um, but yeah, the point of my busted ankles and knees was I was looking into this personal workout equipment and I have came across um, single person trampolines. <laughs> oh my God, you need that. I was like, this is very interesting. Did you purchase it? I had no idea, but there are tons of YouTube series. I haven't purchased it yet, but I'm definitely eyeing one. Um, oh, well, let me know. I will. I had no idea this was like a thing people did was workout on single person trampolines. And there's YouTube series, like tons of YouTube workouts on single person trampolines. I wish you could see my facial expression. <laughs> I'm pretty sure like, I can imagine imagine Anna's surprised facial expression. Her eyes get really big and <laughs> her mouth just opens up in this, oh, uh, <laughs> What? <laughs> It's like you're here with me. <laughs> All right. Should we actually get into the episode? Yeah, let's get into the episode. 
everybody is always like, we love when you guys chat. Well, I hope you're serious because it's been 12 minutes. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> So Hannah had the awesome idea that we should do the Hera project. Yes, that's right. I thought, you know, like over our span of podcast episodes, maybe we could touch on different analog missions. And that's exactly what Hera is. So Hera stands for Human Exploration Research Analog. So to understand Hera, we must first understand analog missions. Hera is one of many analog missions conducted by NASA. Analog missions essentially create environments that simulate the various stressors that, that astronauts would experience when they're off exploring space. NASA developed analog missions in an effort to better train astronauts and better engineer technology to complement the isolated, confined environment that astronauts experience in space. So essentially, they're trying to mimic the experience of astronauts in space, but they obviously can't mimic microgravity on Earth, so they're going to try to get as close as possible. And what this means is that they can study these astronaut analogs in an environment which is less dangerous than actual space. That's exactly right, Anna. Yay! I love when you say that. It makes me, it, it, it like brings back the kid in me who was like, I know the answer! <laughs> <laughs> I love it when people validate me for my knowledge also because it feels like I'm just getting a report card in daily life. I know. I'm like, do I get a sticker? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so like I was mentioning earlier about isolated, confined environments, isolated, confined environments is an example of a stressor. Other stressors that astronauts experience in space include space radiation, distance from the Earth, weightlessness, and a closed environment. So I'm just going to dive into these stressors in a little bit of more detail. Space radiation can cause problems with the central nervous system, which then can impact cognitive function. So certain levels of radiation exposure can actually lead to radiation sickness that can induce fatigue, nausea, and vomiting um, in oh. astronauts. Yeah, radiation sickness is gnarly. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I don't think we've gone into it in too much detail, maybe in our space medicine episode. Yeah, it's gnarly. We could do a whole episode on it. It would be a downer, but I mean, it's important information. Yeah, we should definitely do an episode on it. That sounds like a really interesting topic. Agreed. Another example of a stressor is the distance from Earth. So just think about it. You cannot leave your capsule for an extended period of time based off of the distance you are from the Earth. So if you're on a mission to Mars, that is months on end where you cannot leave your capsule. So this is different from uh. isolation. Yeah, it's awful. But you're getting to explore a new planet, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a give and take. Exactly. <laughs> it's like that phrase, you you can't have your cake and eat it too, which yes. is like the dumbest phrase because what else do you do with cake? But whatever. Exactly. Are you just going to look at it? Yeah, like I, I would like my cake and also to eat it. What else am I going to do with the cake? Yeah, it's kind of dumb. <laughs> but <laughs> the purpose behind it, the meaning, I will say. Yeah, there you go. Still applies. Totally. So um, 
The reason that distance from the Earth is categorized differently from isolation, as I mentioned earlier, is because this specifically refers to, you know, longer durations of confinement. And specifically what we're looking at here is how does this extended duration in confinement affect your psychology over time? Um, and then also, how does this impact team dynamics? Interesting. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. We want to study that on the ground, and then exactly because then yeah. if somebody is having a serious mental breakdown, you can get them help immediately. By studying that on the ground in like an analog mission, we can better understand how to prepare for that. Like, are there certain yes. um, de-stressors that are specific to this person that we can incorporate into the mission? Exactly, and then how do we prevent this from happening in the future? Totally. When we can't get the person out of there. Exactly. Another stressor I mentioned was weightlessness. So weightlessness sounds fun. Like you get to do flips, you get to float around. So <laughs> It does sound fun. Yeah. How can it be a stressor? Well, it can cause disorientation and issues with coordination. And being in reduced gravity for prolonged periods of time can also cause a decline in bone density and can also cause muscle atrophy. Uh, another issue is that reduced gravity environments can also cause fluid shifts to put pressure against your eyes, which can then also cause vision problems. Yeah, we talked about this in our space medicine episode, one of our very first episodes. Yeah, that's right. We did. Please go check it out. If you want more information on how the human body gets impact in space, there's a whole slew of stuff. It's It's hefty. And another stressor is the closed environment. So just think about it. You are stuck with the resources of your capsule. If there is an emergency, how do you act with just the items and the people around you? And then beyond looking for, beyond studying these specific stressors in analog missions, other uh, subject areas that engineers and scientists want to study in an analog mission can include experimenting with new technology, robotic equipment, uh, testing mobility in certain environments, all in an effort to just better figure out how do we engineer for a more successful capsule that contains our astronauts and how do we better train for future missions. So there's a lot that an analog mission can accomplish. Um, I haven't come across, so I mentioned these stressors, space radiation, distance from the earth, weightlessness, closed environment, and isolation. What well, almost makes me wonder if they use that, like the HERA project or the analogs as a control, right? Because they're testing cognitive function on the ground where there is no space radiation. I'm going to spoil it. They test cognitive function. So then if they're seeing huge deviations in cognitive function when they're in space in an environment where they're experiencing space radiation, they can then narrow it down to the fact that this decline in cognitive function is due to that radiation. Yes, that's exactly, yeah, completely. That's that, a really good point. That is just my best guess. <laughs> well, I think it's totally fair because if we can understand right. how the human acts in isolation on planet Earth, when they exactly. know they are aware that they are only a wall away from their friends and family, having yeah, that data then... will will definitely anchor your observations when you're in space, just like you said, Anna, like, is this caused by isolation or is this caused, is the human biological response 
further aggravated by radiation or something else that's different than the analog mission. Exactly. You got to love the scientific method. <laughs> there you you always need a control. <laughs> so locations for analog missions have included oceans, the Antarctic, deserts, and volcanoes. It's pretty crazy how all over the volcanoes? world we go. Yeah, like near Whoa. volcanoes. Oh, I was like... Not inside okay. a volcano. <laughs> I was like, what? Uh, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Please proceed. Yeah. And I think it'd be cool if we just did like a sprinkling of episodes throughout our future of just like different types of interesting analog missions. I agree. That would be a fun one. Mm-hmm. They would all be fun. Mm-hmm. I want to learn about the volcanoes. Yeah, I want to learn about the ones that are underwater. Yeah, that's Nemo is one, but I don't know. I don't want to spoil it. Yeah. All right, so let's get into the specifics of Hera. Hera is located at Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas. It is a two-story, four-port enclosed habitat that includes a simulated airlock, a hygiene module, and a core and a loft. The core in itself is 56 meters cubed, or 187 square feet. The loft is 69.9 meters cubed or 349 square feet. The airlock is 8.6 meters cubed or 42 square feet. The hygiene module is 14.1 meters cubed or 58 square feet. Um, I added these together and you're, we're looking at about 636 square feet or 59 meters cubed. And oh my God, 636 square feet is pretty small like my one bedroom Whoa. apartment was close to that but also anna knows i don't have very much stuff and i also don't have three roommates crammed in there with yeah. me regardless of the stuff there weren't three other people there yeah exactly whoa four people would not have fit in your apartment i mean they physically would have fit but not comfortably for a long period of time oh yeah completely okay so more specifics about hera The building that houses Hera allows for voice control between the crew inside the Hera project, as well as the engineering team that's doing the monitoring of this crew and the tasks that they are uh, working on through the day. That's cool. Mm Mm-hmm. Hera participants are specifically studied for their behavioral response to a confined environment and how they respond to an extended duration in isolation. So we touched on this earlier. Hera analogs occur four times a year, and the durations can vary from 14 days, 45 days, and even 60 days long. On the website, I found that, you know, they had some specifics about Hera, which were really cool. So they keep a very stable room temperature at a constant 72 degrees Fahrenheit, and it says plus or minus five degrees. (laughs) Uh, Lights on are at 7 a.m., lights out at 11 p.m. This kind of reminds me of camp. This is seven days a week. No napping is allowed. That's what I read. Oh, I love a good nap. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, And monitors and uh, participants inside of Hera are monitored 24 hours a day. All right. So what do you do as a participant? I'm going to go through the schedule. Well, you'll be one of four crew members, and your schedule is modeled after the schedule on the ISS, which I think is super cool. You start your day with breakfast, and the time duration 
that was shown for this was about 1.5 hours. I was like, wow, that's a nice long breakfast. I was about to say, that's a leisurely breakfast. Exactly. Like, I wonder if it's very leisurely. I'm sure they're getting debriefed for their day at that time. But still. Yeah, you're probably right. But still, that's nice. Yeah. I like that. Anne and I are both fans of long breakfast time. We're breakfast people. <laughs> yes. Especially, I am not a morning person and Henna is. So I like, I need like a hot minute to like adjust to the fact that I am awake. That's true. But and we- have a re- adult responsibility. Exactly. Drink our coffee. <laughs> yeah. Except, except my new state of being. Go from yeah. zombie to human. Yeah. It takes a minute. It takes a minute. But I get there. Both of us do. Okay. So... Now we're thinking like, okay, breakfast. What does the food on Hera look like? Well, the meals encompass a variety of uh, rehydratable food and natural food items. But on the website, I read that fresh food is not offered because there isn't a refrigerator inside Hera. So uh, these natural food items are probably just like off the shelf food items. Oh, like granola bars. Exactly. The main goal of the menu when these when the scientists are designing them for the Hera participants is that they allow the participants to meet like their caloric needs every day and also meet the nutritional needs. Yeah, that makes sense because you can't just give everybody the same food. Completely, yeah. Like people of different ages and sizes have different caloric and nutritional requirements. Right. Another part of your day to day is daily. You'll have daily conferences and these conferences range from just planning the day medical conferences preparing for the work ahead of you and this is typically two hours so this is like a two hour basically a debrief for what your day is going to be and then after you're debriefed you go on to your actual like the the meat of the day which is your work and your tasks while you if you were to be in space so this includes research tasks operational tasks like hera maintenance um, there's a flight simulator for uh, to simulate rendezvous missions and just like, cool. yeah, I thought that was pretty nifty. Participants also utilize VR, virtual reality headsets to simulate EVA activities. So EVA is extra vehicular activities. So the activities an astronaut would do outside of their capsule. So that could be exploring the moon or fixing, for example, when an astronaut does EVA on the ISS, they're like fixing something outside of, on the ISS. And then also the participants are involved in educational outreach, which I thought that was pretty fun. I like that. Yeah, I really like that too. So all of these activities um, take up about six and a half to eight hours of the day. In the middle of the day, there's definitely a break for your midday, your lunch. And then... I like these extended meals. Me too. (laughs) I'm into that. I'm I'm a huge fan of just like sitting down and enjoying your food. Yeah, I don't take that much time to eat my meals, and I feel like I should. Yeah, completely. Me too. Another part of your day is exercising. So this is about one 1.25 to two and a half hours of the day. And this includes the time that it takes to set up the activity. And this involves, you know, this can involve like a cardiovascular resistive sort of exercise. This time also includes uh, your cool down and uh, just cleaning up the activity. And the reason why you will exercise while in Hera is because you want to be able to simulate the aerobic and resistive sorts of physical tasks that astronauts conduct while in space. And like I mentioned earlier, 
This can involve attending to hardware, running EVAs, and also astronauts exercise in space to prevent uh, muscle atrophy. Like I mentioned earlier, weightlessness, being in a reduced gravity environment, will cause your muscles to atrophy pretty fast in space. So astronauts have to be really good about, uh, you know, having a consistent workout regime. And the mission planners will plan it for them, but it needs to be a consistent workout regime so they don't lose so much muscle mass really quickly. Yeah, and they're trying to get this to be as close as possible to a real space mission. So that's also, they got to keep it all as close as they can, and that includes the workout. Mm-hmm. And during this time, NASA scientists are monitoring you. So they are monitoring your heart rate, your sleep-wake cycles. They're collecting urine, saliva, and fecal samples um, from you. And they collect these samples before HERA starts, during your time in HERA, and after the mission ends. Oof. Like, I get it, but that's intense. Mm-hmm. And then the day wraps up with your dinner, and that's about two hours, which I thought was pretty Again, awesome. <laughs> I love these extended meal times. Yeah. I'm really into this daily schedule. I really love it. <laughs> Me too. On a weekly basis, seven days is broken into five and a half days for mission tasks and research activities, and one and a half uh, days that are, you know, off-duty days. Oh, that's nice. So then it's not like you get you get some time off. Yeah, I'm assuming that's time when you can make like calls to family and read and do, uh, you know, whatever makes you happy. Your own thing for a minute. Mm-hmm. On the weekends, there is like housekeeping, just like you would in your apartment or your home, do chores on the weekend. So there's some housekeeping uh, expected and built into the schedule for the weekend, as well as a little bit of work. What I found was an hour of work is what the NASA website listed on the weekends. So That's not bad. Yeah, not bad at all. But yeah. Wow, that's so cool. That's all I have. All right, let's take a little break and I will give you, I don't know if it's a history or if it's just a continuation in the technical. I'm going to give you something. So I can't wait. What a great advertisement. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. All right, we are back, everybody. We're back. Anna, I'm really excited to hear about the history. Thank you. I had to do some strategic Googling slash Google, <laughs> slash Google Scholar digging, but I found what I think is some interesting stuff. Let's hear it. So to start off, the Hera Project consists of different campaigns, with each campaign consisting of multiple missions of the same length. What Hannah mentioned earlier, there's normally four missions in a year, those four missions would be a campaign. This started with campaign one in 2014, which had four seven-day missions. And they're numbered such that the first mission of campaign one was C1M1, so campaign one, mission one. The second mission was C1M2. The first mission of campaign two would be C2M1, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Got it. Now, the last mission of campaign one was C1M4. And that finished in September of that same year, 2014. Following that came Campaign 2. This actually had slightly longer mission durations at 14 days. C2M1 kicked off the next year. So in January of 2015, 
and ended with C2M4 in September of that same year. I can only imagine Campaign 3 started in 2016, and it had four 30-day missions. Every following campaign has had 45-day missions. Wow. With what I'm pretty sure is currently Campaign 6, possibly 7. Yeah, I'm curious with COVID how that may have impacted. Yeah, I think Campaign 6 would be a safe guess. Yeah, I was trying to find data on what current mission or current campaign we were in, and I couldn't find anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you know, shoot us an email, because I'd love to know. Yes, please do. Now, as I already mentioned, this is going to be a little bit more of a non-traditional history section. I wasn't having much luck finding any information. There isn't all that much information about the history of it on the NASA website, aside from the fact, like, we started it, here's all the campaigns. That's right. I found a paper about it, but it was just, this is what Harrow is going to be. There wasn't any sort of history. Yeah, exactly. Aside from the fact that I'm imagining they're like, we need to send astronauts to space, better figure out the problems we can on Earth. (laughs) That's, I don't know, that was my reenactment. I hope you all enjoyed it. I did. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) I kept finding a bunch of stuff. There's another ESA, the European Space Agency project called Hera. Or I kept getting pings for Hera, who was the queen of the Greek gods and the wife of Zeus. Also, don't dig into her any further, unless you want to unearth some just unpleasant fags. (laughs) Yeah, Anna's right about that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not even going to say what they are here. I told Hannah before we started recording. I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah, it's rough. That's a lot, and we could go down quite a rabbit hole if we were to get into that. So let's avoid it. Nope. All right, but then I hit the jackpot, and I found this awesome paper on Google Scholar. The really stupid thing was it was the first paper listed when you Google hair project on Google Scholar, except I just kept going past it because it was the first one. Oh my gosh, I do that too, where I will always scroll past the first thing because in my brain I'm like, the second or third link will be better, which makes no sense. Oh, absolutely none. (laughs) I feel it's because I'm programmed because in regular Google, the first link is almost always an ad. Yes, that's right. That's right. I've just trained myself to scroll past the first one, but I found this really awesome paper by Nasrini et al. titled Cognitive Performance During Confinement and Sleep Restriction in NASA's Human Exploration Research Analog. And I was like, bingo. I hope this was good. And it was awesome. I will link it in the sources. It was published on April 28th, 2020 in the Frontiers Journal Environmental Aviation and Space Physiology. It goes into some interesting detail about the first two Hera campaigns. And this was eight missions in total, so four per campaign, as already mentioned. And then also, each mission, as Hannah already mentioned, had four subjects. And they ranged in age from 27 to 53 years old. What was interesting to me about this was I'm pretty sure now to apply, you have to be 30. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think they've changed this. And there were four unique people per mission, so no one could participate in more than one mission making 32 crew members in total. So four times eight. Bringing back your math facts. And then just an interesting fact this paper had was that 29 or 90% were right-handed. That's fascinating. Yeah, I was like, I'll put that in there. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And then it actually broke down like the different educational metrics. So six had a bachelor's degree as their highest degree achieved. The paper used the phrase highest level of educational attainment. (laughs) that's intense it was intense so six had a bachelor's degree what's also interesting about this is i'm pretty sure on the current hero website if you would like to apply 
you need to have a master's degree in a science field. So if you are out there listening to this, you are 30 or over, and you have a master's degree in a science field, you can apply to the HERA project. Just Google it and you'll find the application. Yeah, and the application seems pretty straightforward and easy online. I just like scrolled through it when I was looking at the website. It looks pretty straightforward. Yeah. So I don't know what the highest age is. I don't know what the age cap is. But the basic requirements are 30 years old, a master's in a science field. I'm pretty sure. This could have changed since I looked at it. It changes all the time. Mm -hmm. All right. So 15 had a master's and 11 had a PhD or equivalent. I'm assuming this means like an MD. I don't know what else would be equivalent to a PhD. Yeah, that's fair. All of the crews were 50% male and 50% female. So there were two men and two women on each one. With the exception of C1M2 and C2M1. So C1M2 was all women. And I'm sure this was a kick-ass group. Woo! Heck yeah! I know! I was like, ah, that would have been fun, I'm sure. And then C2M1 had three men. I cannot confirm if there has ever been an all-male group. And I also do not know if there's anybody who is non-binary. Gotcha. But it would be really interesting, and I think it's something that would be really important for them to study in the future. Yes, absolutely. Now, looking at this paper, I'm pretty sure they just analyzed data that was gathered during the missions. I don't think they made any of the tests. But I do not know that for certain. I couldn't 100% tell from this paper. But as the paper title mentioned, it was analyzing the cognitive performance of the astronauts. And to do this, they were administered a test. It is officially referred to as the Cognition Test Battery for Spaceflight. And this was developed by a group of scientists and was specifically developed for the purpose of testing the cognition of astronauts. In particular, the effect sleep deprivation has on cognition. I was just going to ask what battery meant because that really threw me off. Cognition test battery. That threw me off too. I think it just means the group of tests. Okay. That is my best guess because that's what it is. It's just a group of tests that come together to make up this battery. Okay. I can see that, yeah. Yeah, it threw me off, too, that we got to a section, they're like, cognition test battery. And I was like, what? (laughs) It's just such an odd word. It is. (laughs) To use. Actually, I'm going to go into this right now, so it's a great intro. On a really high level. Also, for anybody out there who is not in a science field, this throws me off all the time. High level means broad. Low level means really intense. Yes. And it's the opposite of what you think it would be. And the way I think of it is like high level is you're looking at something from really far away. You're only going to get a general idea of what's going on. Right. If you're in the thick of it, you're on a low level, it gets much more detail oriented. Totally. But this still throws me off sometimes. Now that we all know, on a high level, I'm going to describe the battery. It consists of 10 individual tests, which test a different cognitive domain. I was like, what are the cognitive domains? First of all, I found so many articles that listed a different number of cognitive domains. I found research papers that listed different number of cognitive domains, so I don't know how many cognitive domains are. But some of them include language, executive functions, that would be like planning, decision making, etc., and learning and memory. There's a bunch more. And I'm going to link to the article that I referenced. But they sound really interesting. Yeah, they definitely do. Right? So now what's also interesting is that they weren't just given 10 tests and cycled through. These 10 tests each had 15 different versions. Wow. Yes. And they did this to ensure that the astronauts wouldn't be able to just memorize the test answers. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 
Yes. Have you ever, when you were studying for the SAT or the GRE or something, so you took the same practice test in the same book, and at a certain point you'd done it so many times you just knew what the answer was? Yes. Oh, completely. It's like you didn't even have to read the question. You were like, oh, this is C. Yeah, Yeah. literally, exactly. Yeah. And you don't learn anything that way. Yeah. And so that's what they're trying to prevent, which I thought was really interesting because it's something I wouldn't have thought about. And so like I mentioned, if you want to learn more about this test, I will link to a paper about it in our sources. It's actually written by the people who developed it. The astronauts took the test on dedicated iPads up to three times per day. And the goal of this was to test the effects of isolation and sleep deprivation on cognition. They're already isolated, so that's pretty easy. (laughs) You're just getting that by testing them. Yeah. To test sleep deprivation, it was actually pretty interesting. As Hannah already mentioned, the typical scheduled sleep hours were from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. But each mission had one night of sleep deprivation. And this is just for the first two. This article only talked about campaign one and campaign two. I don't know what they did for the rest of the campaigns. At first, I was like, only one day? That doesn't feel like a lot. But campaign one was only seven days, and campaign two was 14. It's actually kind of a lot when you think about it. For campaign one, the astronauts were not allowed to go to bed until 3 a.m. on mission day three. That's not terrible. We've all had a late night. Yeah. But I also, I don't think they let them sleep any later. So they went to bed at 3 a.m. and woke up at 7 a.m. Oof. Yeah. It'd be rough for a day, but it wouldn't be the end of the world. Exactly. Right. And so now for campaign two, this just sounds terrible. Between mission day 10 and mission day 11, they were kept up all night. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they were not allowed to go to sleep until the night of day 11. So they were up for day 10, they were up all night, and then they were up for day 11. Oh, wow. Yeah. When you said that they were sleep deprived, I honestly assumed like by a few hours, I did not assume all night long. No. And I think they were trying to stimulate like if there was an emergency in the middle of the night, you can't just sleep during the day. Right. Okay. So it makes sense, but this would be tough to go through. Mm-hmm. However, on the night of day 11, they were given a slightly longer sleeping time. So they were given 10 hours of sleep. It boils down to the fact that they were kept up for about 40 hours and then allowed to sleep for 10. That's a doozy. Yeah, that's a long time. It's doable, but would not be fun. Right, completely. Yeah. In addition to the cognitive battery I already described, they were given surveys to test their alertness. This was apparently identical to the survey given to astronauts on the ISS. The survey in Camping 2 was actually slightly more expanded to look at alertness as well as affect. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Now I'm going to give you a very brief overview of the findings of this paper, and this is in direct quotes. The current findings suggest that the stressors of confinement and relative isolation of up to two weeks with a work schedule comparable to that on the ISS as administered in HERA may not show a significant negative impact on cognitive performance in any of the domains examined by cognition. Essentially what they're saying here is that being in isolation does not impact cognitive performance. That's interesting, because I would not have assumed that, you know? I wouldn't either. However, there was a caveat to this. Before each cognitive test, they were given a practice test, and I think what the conclusion was saying is that it's possible the practice test could have changed the results of the final test. They got good at the practice test, meaning the actual test results were not true. Oh, yeah, that's actually a really good point. And that's really great that they that they captured that, you know? Yes. However, I'm not 100% sure that's what they were saying. I got really confused at this part of the paper. So that's fine. If anybody reads this paper or reads it after listening to this and understands it better... Please let me know if what I'm saying is correct, and I will record in the future episode if I was right or wrong. Sounds like a plan. 
Another important point is that they did determine that sleep deprivation has an effect on cognition, which is unsurprising, but I think important to document still. Yes, yes, that isn't surprising, but yeah, very important to at least, you know, have in paper. And Exactly. I'm sure they get a lot more metrics of like how much sleep deprivation affects cognition and stuff like that. I was just making a very generalized statement. I loved it. I loved how specific and to the point you are. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I had to give a presentation at one point for a job I had, and they were like, we need you to go quickly and to the point. I was like, I was born for this. (laughs) Bring it on. (laughs) As seen from this episode. Yeah, I'm like, you want me to talk fast and be direct? That is where I shine, everybody. (laughs) Get out of my way. I am here. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and I was like, I have to do something after this. I was like, I will accept this challenge. (laughs) Uh, and you succeeded, Anna. Thank you. This was fun. This was a great topic, Anna. It was so fun. I loved learning about it. I did too. I had a lot of fun researching this one. Do you want to tell everyone where they can find us? All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this and you want to hear more, you want to learn more about us, you can check us out on our website at whatitisrocketscience.com. We have a contact us form, so you can shoot us a message. You can say hi. Or you can correct us if we said something wrong. If you have more episodes ideas, also shoot those over. You can find us on Instagram at But It Is Rocket Science. You can find us on Twitter at But It Is RS. I have a TikTok called Anna Is Anxious that I'm still trying to figure out how to use if you want to come along for the ride. Heck yeah. And then if you enjoyed this, subscribe and you will get a notification every time we put out a new episode. If you really enjoyed this, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Yes, please. We love hearing from you. We do. It's so fun. It's nice to know you're out there. Yes, agreed. All right, you want to close it out? All right, so I'll go with my sources first. So I only had two articles, and they were both from NASA.gov. One is titled, What Are Analog Missions? And another one is a very like detailed paper that is called 2019 HERA Facility Capabilities Information. I will have both of those linked in our sources. How about you, Anna? All right. I have that paper from Frontier that I spent a lot of the episode talking about. I have a NASA.gov analyst. It's just basically about what the Hera Project is. I just have a link to GreekGoddesses.net. <laughs> I don't know if you're curious. I don't know why I even put that in the sources. But there you go. I have a link to the paper that talks all about the actual cognition t- battery test. And then I have a link just about the domains of cognitive function. Awesome. Yeah, fun stuff. All right, let's close it out. Until next time, space cadets. T minus three, two, one, liftoff. liftoff.